Welcome again, church, on a glorious autumn morning. It doesn't get much better than this. Together as a church, looking at God's Word together. Well, if you are new and visiting us this morning, we are right at the end of an epic series. Uh, I think we've been going for about 18 months now on Mark's Gospel. And if you have your Bibles there with you, why don't you open up to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be looking this morning at verses 22 to 25. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. This is the Word of God. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we stand humbly before your word. And as we cast our mind to this incredible moment, we ask that you would send your spirit and speak to us. Unveil our eyes. Soften our hearts. Help us to see you. We need you, Lord. I need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, in about three weeks' time, uh, it's going to be the 25th of April, and we're going to be celebrating Anzac Day. And Anzac Day, as we all know, is a national holiday where we all stop as a nation and we remember, we commemorate the the falling of all uh, Australian and New Zealand soldiers throughout wars throughout history. Uh, Specifically, it began the tradition in uh, the Great World War, after the Great War, uh, with the events at Gallipoli, but has come to, to symbolize something greater, the, the dying of people for the sake of our great country. And it's increasingly become uh, this massive event on the national uh, calendar where millions and millions of Aussies stop to remember uh, all that has happened in the past and all that people have done for them. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, and the reason why I bring it up is we can kind of think it's really kind of the same sort of thing. I mean, isn't it? I mean, isn't it the same? I mean, the Lord's Supper, isn't it purely about just a little tradition of pausing and remembering uh, what Jesus has done for us? Well, the thing that I want us to see this morning in this message is that although that's true, there's actually much, much more to it than purely remembering. 
It's actually for us as Christians a precious gift of grace given to us by the Lord Jesus. And the reason why that's important is that Christian life is really tough. Christian life is hard going. I've been talking with someone just this week who is currently in their Christian life just doing it really, really tough. And in the midst of Christian life and its difficulties, this is a gift to nourish us and sustain us. A gift that the Lord Jesus himself inaugurates in our passage. In our passage this morning, we've read about, and I'm going to sort of apply ourselves to looking more in more depth to, the most important meal in the history of the world. Uh, if you're taking notes, I've entitled this message, The Master's Table. And we're going to have three points. We're going to spend most of the time looking at the first two points. And those points are the meaning of the bread, point one, Point to the meaning of the wine. Point to the meaning of the wine. And point three, we're going to pause and actually look at, well, how do we enjoy this meal? And uh, what we're going to do is apply this message at the end in the most appropriate fashion, which is we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a local church. Um, But really, my one heart for you in this message, for us as a church, is that we'd see that the Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of all we have in Christ. A sign. A sign is something that points you to something else. It says, this is what you should be looking at. It says, look over here. A sign. A A seal is a mark of authenticity. It assures you that something is real. And we're going to really be looking at that as we see that the Lord's Supper is both a sign and a seal of all we have in Christ. In our passage this morning, Mark's real heart is actually to, through this supper, to point us to the Lord Jesus' coming death in the story. But we're going to pause on this point and look more fully at the gift of the Lord's Supper. So let's dive in and look at the first point for this morning, which is the meaning of the bread. What does the bread mean? Um, Just by way of context, uh, five days earlier, uh, it was Palm Sunday and Jesus had arrived into Jerusalem. And as this figure, this kingly figure coming in with the disciples, anticipating that it's going to be kind of a showdown where Jesus is going to ascend to the throne and physically take over the uh, kingdom of Jerusalem, uh, what he finds and what they find is something quite unexpected, that Jesus ends up going head to head with the religious leaders. Uh, Jump forward in our story and now it's really late on Thursday night, and Jesus is going to be crucified in the early hours of Friday morning. And what we're reading here, and what we're looking at this morning, is some of his very last words to his disciples before he'll go to the cross. We're talking at the very last hours of Jesus's life. Uh, Last week, Dave did an awesome message just looking at his mastery over the final hours of his death and uh, over his life, sorry. Uh, We saw Peter and John uh, sent into Jerusalem to look for a man carrying a jar of water and to ask him that the master wants uh, the room to prepare for the Passover meal. And they find that man, they go to his place, they prepare for the Passover meal. Well, let's rehash and think about what was this Passover even about? What was the whole reason for this meal? If you cast your mind back to Exodus and the the story of Exodus, you find the people of God enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And God raises up Moses and he says to Moses that uh, I'm going to use you to release my people from slavery as I've promised And Moses comes to the Pharaoh and gives these signs as a testimony that God wants him to release his people. Pharaoh just keeps keeps hardening his heart after sign, after sign, after sign, until we get to the 10th sign, the 10th 
plague where God promises that he will strike the firstborn of every household. But for the people of God to be passed over, he gives them a ritual, a ritual to be carried down through the ages. They are to slaughter a lamb. And the blood of the lamb is to be painted on the doorposts of their house. The family then gathers for this meal and the emphasis of this meal is hurry, quick. It's time to flight. And so we see that in the preparation of the lamb. They don't gut the lamb. They don't take its head off. The lamb is roasted whole with the entrails still in. We see it in unleavened bread. What's the point of unleavened bread? You don't allow the bread time to rise because you're in a hurry. The meal is to be eaten with bitter herbs. Bitter herbs to remind you of the bitterness of life in Egypt. The meal is to be eaten clothed with robe and sandals. It's like wearing your joggers. In your joggers, with your belt around your waist and your staff in your hand, ready to go and take flight. It's a meal to be had in a hurry, prepared to leave. And from the writings of the period, we know that this meal would traditionally revolve around four glasses of wine and the singing of psalms and the recounting of the story of the exodus and eating and the atmosphere that you should imagine is one of celebration. This is a moment to celebrate God's deliverance of his people. So picture the scene in our passage. Imagine the darkened room. Imagine the disciples reclining around the table. Imagine the lamb set before them. Imagine the bitter herbs and the traditional fruit dipping sauce. Imagine the bread and the wine on the table. And a moment of celebration is quickly changed as Jesus dramatically changes the atmosphere. Jesus takes this meal that had been performed by Jewish people for over a thousand years and he radically reinterprets it, saying, This is my body of the bread. This is my blood. But the question is, what on earth is it all about? What does Jesus mean? Read with me again those famous words. He says in verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take this, is my body. In this passage, in this verse, we read one word that's led to thousands of years of division. And that word is the word is. What does Jesus mean when he says, this is my body? Well, what Jesus does not mean is that the bread and the wine is actually Jesus. In uh, some churches, in Orthodox and Catholic churches, they teach that the bread becomes Jesus' actual body. Uh, During Mass, the priests will recount a blessing, and as a result of the blessing, the bread becomes his physical body, and you eat it. And as you eat it, this is what saves you. Christ is infused into you. And you might be sitting there thinking, Brendan, well, what's the point? What's the big deal? It's a little bit creepy to be thinking about eating Jesus' flesh, but, but why is that a big problem? Well, it's a big problem in this. You can never be sure if you're going to be saved. You'll only be sure if you've been saved if you've had your top up of Jesus, if you've eaten some more of his flesh. More than that, it means an ongoing sacrifice is necessary to be saved. And it denies the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. 
Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was once for all of eternity. You see, the Bible teaches us that the Lord's Supper is a sign pointing to a greater truth. It's a sign that points and diverts our attention to something else. You know, I was thinking about it this week, and um, I grew up in Dapto, and Dapto, in many ways, is a little bit like Hobbiton. We don't, as Daptoidians, stray far beyond Dapto, and occasionally we would, and I would find myself driving to a very distant location for a Daptoidian, and that is the airport. And uh, the airport was a source of great anxiety for me. Uh, it was a complicated process. We're not used to driving that far. Lots of directions. And so signs become really important. Uh, when you see those big green signs with a little, you know, plane in the corner, you know the ones I'm talking about? It's like ugh, relief, just like floods over you. Like, yes, I'm going the right way. And the point I'm trying to make is signs to the airport are really important, but signs to the airport are not the airport. It's a sign telling you which way to go. It's a sign directing your attention to the airport. In the similar vein, the bread is not his physical body. But what is it a sign of? What does it point our attention to? Well, Firstly, the bread is a sign of his death. And this is perhaps the greatest point. Jesus takes bread and giving thanks, he breaks it and says, this is my body. You know, Jesus had been repeatedly predicting that he would be killed and that he would rise. We see that all the way back in eight, chapter 8, 31 where Jesus, after getting the disciples to proclaim who he is, then tells them that he's come to die and to rise again three days later. Again and again and again, Jesus predicts that he'd come to die. In a similar way, with the Passover lamb slain and on the table before them, as they remembered their deliverance over a thousand years earlier from the angel of death, Jesus points to his death. You know, one uh, commentator even goes so far to translate Jesus as saying, rather than this is my body, this is my corpse. This is my body, which is going to be poured out for you. Um, in Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 19, recounting the same events, Luke writes, And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you look at the bread, remember what I'm going to do for you. John Stott puts it this way uh, in his book, The Cross of Christ. He says, The Lord's Supper, which was instituted by Jesus and which is the only regular commemorative act authorized by him, dramatizes neither his birth nor his life, neither his words nor his works, but only his death. Nothing could indicate more clearly the central significance which Jesus attached to his death. It was by his death that he wished above all else to be remembered. Above everything else, Jesus did not want to be remembered by his life or his works or his word. Above all else, he wished to be remembered by his death. His death on the cross. But church, it does more than just point us to his, his death. It also seals that death to our conscience. It affirms the truth of that death to us. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ. You know, in the Lord's Supper, we act out the death of Jesus on the cross. We join in. We participate. That word is the word fellowship or commune, where we get communion with His body and His blood. As it's poured out on the cross, we act out the drama of the upper room. We act out the drama of everything that happened to Him on the cross. 
Elsewhere, Paul says, we partake of the table of the Lord. It's like we were there with him and his disciples in the upper room. It's like we were there with Mary at the foot of the cross. It's like we see his blood dripping down from the cross and the crowds mocking and the women crying and our king gasping for breath as he hangs there. You see, the bread is a sign of his death. But it also seals his death to our hearts and minds. It takes us back to the cross. And in Christian life, we need this. We so desperately need this. We're so quick to begin to forget all that he's done for us. And so how precious then this gift. The bread is a sign of his death. And it seals that death to our conscience. Point two, not just a sign of his death, but the bread is a sign of our dependence upon him. You know, bread is one of the most powerful symbols of sustenance. Uh, You can describe someone as a breadwinner. Or putting the bread on the table. Or elsewhere, Jesus says, our daily bread. It's a sign of sustenance. And one of the difficult sayings of Jesus in John chapter 6, Jesus says the following. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying here that just like after the exodus when God provided miraculous food to sustain His people. Just like that moment, Jesus says, I sustain my people. I nourish my people. The difference? Verse 51. Eat of Me, and you will never die. Eat of my flesh, and you will live forever. Jesus, what do you mean? Like, that's a bit confusing. What do you mean? Verse 47, truly, I say to you, whoever believes will live forever. Whoever believes has eternal life. Believe in me and you eat my flesh. You know, the word believe uh, is a word that's so often confused by people in our culture. In our culture, believe kind of means intellectual assent. To believe certain things about a person. But the trouble is, the devil does that. The word believe in the New Testament and applied in this context means the following. It means to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. To believe is to entrust your whole being to someone else. And in this context, to entrust your whole being to Jesus Christ. You know, some people often say to me, you know, I I believe all that stuff about God, but, you know, I just think following His ways, it's not for me. I just, I'm living my life, my way. Maybe some other time I'll come and, you know, do the Christian thing. But that is not what belief in the Bible is. 
To believe is to entrust your whole self to Christ. And Jesus Christ says when you entrust yourself to Him, you make Him your daily bread. You make Him your sustenance. That's the beautiful message of the gospel, that simply by entrusting yourself to Christ, believing in Him and all He's done, turning from your sins and entrusting your whole life to Him, that because of His death and His blood poured out for you, you can be saved and find full assurance of life never ending. More, you can have Him yourself. You can come to know and enjoy Him and His fullness forever. You know, in uh, describing this passage, uh, a famous uh, leader, Dr. Charles Malik, who was uh, the former uh, Secretary General of the UN, says this. He says, I can live without food, without drink, without sleep, without air, but I cannot live without Jesus. Isn't that good? I can even live without air, but I cannot live without Jesus. His bread is a sign of our dependence on Him. And in life, it's so easy to forget how much we depend upon Christ. It's so easy to begin to depend on our work, to depend on our kids, to depend on our spouse, to depend on a relationship, to depend on holidays, to depend on having a home, to depend on having health. And as we take of the bread, we're reminded that He is our sustenance. He is our life. He is our nourishment. We depend on Him more than we depend on food, more than we depend on sleep, more than we depend on drink, more than we depend on air. And so as we take the bread and we hold it, we join with our brothers and sisters in Christ at the table. And that truth is sealed to our conscience, in our hearts. God assures us of the truth that He alone is our nourishment. Thirdly, the bread is a sign of the unity of His church. It says again in verse 22, And giving thanks, he took bread and broke it. And giving it to them, he said, Take, this is my body. He takes a loaf, a single loaf of bread, and he distributes it. The whole loaf symbolizes his body. And we take and we eat from the same part. We come with the same need. We are all one body. Paul writes it uh, this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Why? For we partake of the one bread. You know, it's so easy to come thinking we're different from others. Some of us, we come on a Sunday and we believe that we're more needy. And so we're ashamed. Some of us come and we believe that we're less needy. And so we're proud. The truth is, we're all the same. And it's easy also to come thinking that we don't need others. That we're the boss of our own lives. But as we come and we take of the bread, we see we're joined to others. We see we're joined to Christ. We're part of His body. And, and as we take of this bread, we look around and we see everyone is the same. We all come in desperate need of this one bread. More, we're all joined together by this one bread. The bread is a sign of the unity of the church. And as we take the bread and look around, we remember that we're all joined together, one in Christ. And as we join Him at the table, that truth is sealed to our minds and our hearts. 
well. That's point one, the meaning of the bread. Uh, Point two, we're going to look at now, the meaning of the wine. Uh, Firstly, the first point is that the wine is a sign of his sacrifice. Let me read uh, verse 23. It says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my body. Uh, This is my blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. What does it mean? You know, sometimes we're so removed from the culture of the Old Testament that it's hard to understand. And some words are so familiar to us that we, we kind of skip over how radical and unusual they are. If I said to you, look, I know you're in trouble, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of my blood and going to pour it out on the ground for you. I mean, you would look at me and you'd be minimally puzzled. Uh, you might think I'm a bit of a weirdo. And uh, you might even begin to think I'm crazy, like insane. Like, Brendan, what are you going on about? And we're so far removed from the Jewish culture of sacrifice that sometimes these words are puzzling to us. Well, the big question in the Old Testament is really, how can a just God forgive people that are guilty? People are guilty. They deserve to be punished. They've turned their back on God. And God's gift in the Old Testament is the gift of animal sacrifice. It's a gift. In this gift, the priest would slit this animal's throat and collect the blood, and pour it out, and count the sin as paid for. And it seems quite out there, and graphic, and unusual, but blood in the Old Testament was a symbol of the life force of an animal. It's its life. And so the sacrifice is really a symbol. It's pointing to something else. It's pointing to the truth that wrong demands punishment. That the cost of wrongdoing, turning your back on God, sin, is life. That the punishment for sin is the price of a life. And the blood symbolizes that life. The sacrifice is a symbolic offering up of a life and asking God for forgiveness. The blood symbolizing the life. It's as though the person is saying, God, I recognize the cost of my sin. I recognize, God, that it should be my blood being poured out, my life being poured out for this sin. God, would you forgive me? And God's gift in the Old Testament is to look at the blood, to look at the life offered, and to accept it, and to forgive the sinner. But blood merely symbolizes a life. And the the life that the blood symbolizes isn't really enough to actually pay for wrong against God. It's just symbolic of it. And so what we read is verse 24. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out many. Jesus is saying that he's offering himself as a sacrifice to purchase our forgiveness. Not for one or two, for many. Just like he said in chapter 10, 45, he said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, church, it's so easy to live in life as though we need to atone for our sins. When we come to church, 
weighed down by our failure. When we come to church and look at others with contempt, as though somehow we're more deserving of forgiveness than they are. When we come to the Lord's table, we remember that His blood was poured out for many. And we are the many. As we drink the cup, we enter back into the story and we see the table with the disciples. We see His blood being poured out as He's whipped and beaten. We see His blood being poured out as He's mocked and scorned. As the nails pierce His flesh, we see it running down onto the ground. As the the spear pierces His side, we see it pouring out. And as we partake of the cup, it seals it to our hearts. The cup is a sign of His sacrifice. But more than that, it's a sign of His covenant. Read that verse again. He says, And He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant. Now, covenant is an old English word that simply means agreement. It's an agreement. But his agreements are not like our agreements. We're familiar uh, with agreements in this world. Agreement between you and your boss at work. An agreement with a real estate agent. An agreement with a car rental company, with Telstra, with Origin Energy. It tends to be a bit of 50-50, give and take. But his agreements are always amazing grace. His agreement is this. My blood for your forgiveness. My life poured out for you that we could be friends once more. All of me poured out For you, that you might enjoy all the blessings that are to be found in me. My life given as a ransom for you. Our part, simply come to me. Entrust yourself to me. Come and humbly ask for my blood. Come and ask. It doesn't matter the depth of sin. Become one of my people. This is my agreement with you. This is my covenant with you. And just like in Exodus, when God makes a covenant with his people on Mount Sinai, he confirms it by pouring out blood. And so too, Jesus confirms his promise by pouring out his blood. You know, church, it's so easy to forget the sweet covenant we have with God, His agreement with us. And it's so easy to begin to wonder whether or not He will really be good to us. Well, the wine reminds us of His promise. More, it seals that promise to our hearts and our minds. Thirdly, and finally, The wine is a sign of his banquet. And the message of Scripture is so clear that this life is passing away and we have a glorious future hope in Christ. We live in the last days since the foundation of the world. The return of Christ has never been as close as it is now. We are tiny specks of dust in a vast universe and we stand on the very edge of eternity. And so Jesus says in verse 25, he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying his kingdom is coming. There is this great banquet that awaits us all. We will sit at the table with him and feast. And yet on the average day, Francis Chan writes, This, he writes, on the average day, however, we live caught up with ourselves. On the average day, we don't consider God very much. On the average day, we forget that our life is truly a vapor. Just so easy to be distracted by life. 
And so easy to begin to, as we look out at the world, begin to, begin to believe the worst. As we drink the cup, we remember His kingdom is coming. As we drink the cup, we remember the victory banquet will soon be ours. And we keep celebrating it. And we keep celebrating it. And we keep preaching Christ. And we keep preaching Christ until He returns. Well, in summary, the Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of all we have in Christ. The bread is a sign of His death, our dependence on Him, and our unity as His body. The wine is a sign of His sacrifice, His covenant, His agreement with us, and His banquet, which is to come. Thirdly and finally then, and in closing, point three, enjoying the meal. I hope we've seen just something of how amazing the Lord's Supper is as a meal for us. And, and the question is that I want to ask now is, how do we best enjoy it? How do we best partake in it? We're going to apply this message uh, shortly after this by joining in and partaking of the Lord's Supper. But before we do, I just want to briefly look at how we can enjoy this meal, which we're going to celebrate together best. And... Really, even before we get to looking and enjoying it, there's a question that you need to consider first. And that question is, have I come to the table yet at all? Have I received the gift of his life? Have I believed in Jesus Christ? Have I entrusted myself completely to him? And if the answer is no, I I just want to appeal to you. Come to him. He is gracious. He is kind. He will forgive your sins. In him you'll find grace and life eternal. Come to him. And do it now. Put your trust in Christ. And you will find more joy than you ever expected because you will find Him, your Maker. But if you have not put your trust in Him, I want to give you a warning that comes from His Word, and that is, do not partake in this meal. This meal is not for you, for without having Christ, what you'll find is judgment. You'll reap judgment upon yourself. That's the first question before we begin. It is, have I come to the table? Have I received the gift of his life? Well, then where do we go and how do we best prepare for the meal? I I put to us that we need to look in four directions or kind of two different uh, dimensions, if you will. The first is back and forward. We look back and we remember his cross. We look back and we see his blood poured out. And then we look forward and we see his banquet table and we keep preaching the gospel. Then we look back and we remember his cross and his blood poured out. Then we look forward and we we proclaim that he's coming again. And we look forward to his banquet and his final victory. And we look back and we remember his cross. And we look forward and we look forward to his banquet table. We look back and we look forward. But not only backwards and forwards, we also look in and around. We look in and we remember our need for forgiveness and nourishment. We remember our need for his blood and his bread. And then we look around and we remember the body we're joined to. We remember we as one are part of many because we're joined to the one bread. We look back, we look forward, we look in and we look around. And that is how we enjoy the meal. Well, I'm going to close now with a prayer as we move to celebrate in closing with the best possible application to this sermon, which is to enjoy the gift of the Lord's Supper, uh, what is truly a sign and a seal of all we have in Christ. I'm going to pray. I invite the band to come up and join us and the stewards to go out 
uh, as I pray for us. They're going to pass out the, the elements, the, the juice or wine in small cups and the bread on a plate. I just ask you to take that and hold it because I want us to partake of it together and to celebrate together. Uh, and I really want us to take our time in this uh, because it's a precious gift and I want us to be nourished by it. Why don't I uh, just pray for us now and um, so why don't you bow your heads with me and uh, I'm going to begin with a hymn from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Let me read this to you as I pray. Spurgeon writes, What food luxurious loads the board when at his table sits the Lord. The wine how rich, the bread how sweet, when Jesus deigns the guests to meet. If now with eyes defiled and dim, we see the signs, but see not him. Oh, may his love the scales displace and bid us see him face to face. Lord, what food luxurious sits before us at your table. What a rich feast that draws our gaze to all we have in you. Lord, I pray for us, church, that we'd find nourishment in this meal. That we would see afresh your body broken for us. That we would see afresh our need for nourishment from you. That we would see afresh that we who are many and different are joined as one with the same need. Because we need you. That we would see in your blood poured out the great sacrifice that cleanses us. That we would see at your table one who is tender and kind and welcomes us. And as we see the signs, we would have them sealed to our hearts. are our one true source of nourishment. Lord, we need you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take the bread and the wine, I need to lead us in this time of doing an item. As we reflect on his death and what it means for us. So let's sit and reflect as we sing.
Church, 2,000 years ago, a small darkened room, Lord sat with his disciples and took a loaf of bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He passed it out to them. And he said, take this. This is my body. Eat this church then remember his body for you and Jesus took a cup and he said this cup is my blood blood of a new agreement poured out for many church drink this remember that he poured out his blood for you and give thanks let me pray for us oh Lord Jesus we we hunger and thirst for you Lord Jesus, as we remember your sacrifice, we want more of you. Less of us, more of you. Lord, thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you for your body and your blood. Help us to treasure it always. We pray this in your name. Amen. church let's be upstanding as we sing